Hey everyone, welcome to the Love and Truth Church Savannah podcast. We are so glad you joined us. Our hope is for these teachings to be encouraging and uplifting and that they would help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, let's get ready to receive a powerful message from Pastor A.J. Fowler. Get your Bibles turned to Matthew chapter 4, uh, and I'll just kind of give some context to where I'm going this morning. Obviously, it's on fasting, and you've got message notes when you came in. Hopefully, you received those as they're sitting up on the tables right there, but uh, maybe a little bit more um, teaching this morning as it pertains to prayer and fasting, but specifically fasting as it's kind of a, to some of us, it's, it's a cuss word. Because you come into a season of fasting, your flesh does not want to embrace it. But if we understood, and many of us do, if we understand the power of it, because there's power in fasting, it's important that even in Scripture, every time that that fasting is listed, there's always connected with it prayer. And uh, last week, Pastor Reddy preached on the subject of revival, and and he pulled from the Scripture of Second Chronicles chapter seven and verse fourteen, and it's a famous verse that everybody likes to read when they kick off into prayer and fasting. And when all this stuff broke loose in 2020, there was the Unite 714 and, and all of this stuff. And it's uh, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. And, and that's true. But when, when, you, when you truly begin to reap the benefits of, of fasting coupled with prayer, because they, they come together, uh, fasting without prayer is just a diet. That's all it is. And I believe that fasting is, is an abstaining from food. Many people say, well, what about media and all this stuff? I mean, I think that's disciplines, but scriptural-based fasting is abstaining from food. It is, uh, it's a powerful thing because even as Paul said in scripture, I literally just read it uh, this morning. It was talking about in Philippians that their stomach is their God. Like they live to eat and they're filled, not just metaphorically or, 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 or figurative, but literally they're filled with their own desires. And so we take this season of time to pray and to fast. Why? We pray to, we, we fast to win the war in the spirit into the year. And I, I hope I can teach this to you the way that I feel it uh, in, in fasting. And hopefully you'll walk away from the service today and understand that fasting is something that I've got to do. You know, Jesus spoke of three things in scripture. In Matthew chapter six, you can look it up. He spoke of three things in scripture, not if you do, not optional, but when you do. The first thing that he mentions is when you pray. So pray is not optional. Sometimes we relegate and delegate that off to the intercessors of the bunch. Well, they'll pray. And, but, no, that's great. I'm glad. But it's, an, it's everybody. It's not an option. It's an expectation. It's a dialogue and not monologue. We are called, if we're sons and daughters and believers, the Holy Spirit will lead you into a life of communion and, and relationship with Jesus. And it comes through prayer and, and meditation and focusing on Him, filling your life 
life with the word of the Lord and knowing who he is and also being known by him. So he said, when you pray, the second thing is when you give, it's not an option. It's an expectation that I'm going to give. And does it, maybe it's obviously it speaks to your finances, but it also speaks to of your time and your talent for the kingdom of God, whatever that looks like in your world. And the third thing is when you fast, there it is. When you fast, I heard Dr. Miles Monroe, it's been a while back. He was talking about prayer and Again, it's going to be hard. When I talk about fasting today, I'm not talking about fasting only, okay? It's coupled with prayer, and uh, it's nitro and glycerin come together, and the demonstration of the Spirit begins to take place. But he was talking about prayer, and he said that prayer is an earthly license for heavenly interference. You understand that if there is a spirit on the earth without a human body, it is here illegally. That's why the Lord gave man authority, man dominion, and he said, I'm gonna put my spirit in them and they are gonna serve me of their own choice to, to, to delegate his kingdom, to, to propagate it, to enforce it, to demonstrate it upon the earth. And it's, I think it was one of the Wesley brothers, don't know which one exactly said it, but they said it in this way, without God, man cannot. We can't do anything apart from him. And they went on to say, and without man, God will not. Well, God is sovereign. Yes, he is. But it would seem, as E.M. Bounds said, that God does nothing except in response to prayer. But what happens when you couple that and partner it with fasting? Denial of the flesh. Some of you, this is the first time you ever heard anything about this. Maybe the reason why that sometimes our life takes bad twists and turns and we get into bad dysfunctional relationships and situations is because we're not denying ourselves of our desires and fleshly pleasures. And for this reason, we go into a 21 days of prayer and fasting that hopefully it awakens and ignites someone's heart to take and say, no, 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 I'm called to fast. I'll pick a day a week, I'll pick a meal a week, I'll pick something a week. I'm gonna fast and take, say, God, this belongs to you. Although I know it's, it's not a sin to eat, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna eat to live, or I'm not gonna live to eat, I'm gonna eat to live. I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna fast. And so I love Ecclesiastes chapter 10. It really begins to speak, in my opinion, about the power of fasting. Uh, verse 10, it talks about that a well-sharpened ax makes for an effective uh, a situation. I'm kind of paraphrasing there, but I think of the story, I think of the story of the two lumberjacks, the older gentleman that had been doing it for years and, and he was seasoned. He, he actually, the character on his hands and he was strong. Although that he was old in years, he was very strong and wise and had been doing it for a long time. And then there was this young, young buck that comes up and, and he's just, you know, got a little bit of chip on his shoulder and he's cocky and he looks over and he says, I tell you what, old man, I'll take you to the cleaners today. I'll chop more trees down than you will. So the older lumberjack humbly accepts and says, you're on. And so all the people gather around and they're watching this whole process. The young man goes out and goes to swing and wearing himself out and chopping a tree down. Every time he seems to look over, the older gentleman goes and sits down on top of a stump of a tree he just cut down. And it looks like he's eating, taking a drink and sharpening his ax. The young man says, I got this in the bag. There's no doubt I'm going to win this one. 
And at the end of the day, to the young lumberjack's surprise, the older gentleman had chopped down way more trees than the young man could ever dream. And he comes to him and he says, sir, please tell me, how is it that you defeat, how is it that you defeated me? What is it about you that makes you so special except for you've been doing this for years? And the old lumberjack says, son, what you don't realize is every time I sit down on a log and begin to, you thought I was taking a break, I was sharpening my ax. And I believe that for us, that's what fasting is. Fasting is sharpening your spiritual edge to make you effective in the kingdom of God. There's your first fill in. And it's important, many of us say, well, I've been praying. Well, first off, have you really? Have you really sought the face of God and listened? And then beyond that, maybe you're not seeing what you thought you ought to be seeing in the time you ought to be seeing it in, because you know God has a timing. And maybe it's because we haven't coupled it with something powerful called fasting, a denial of the flesh. And I believe with all of my heart, what fasting is, is an, it's, an expansion of your, it's an expanding of your spiritual capacity. Because what you're doing is you're expanding yourself for God to, feel, to, to let loose of yourself, your own agenda, your own will, your own desires, your own pleasures, your own whatever it may be, and letting him fill you with who he is, the fullness of who he is, and denying yourself of your own pleasure, but filling himself with you, or filling himself in you. We look at the life of Jesus and we see that here in this setting of scripture that I want to begin to read in Matthew chapter 4, we see that the scripture talks about that before he is led into the spirit, into the wilderness, led by the spirit into the wilderness, there's a baptism that takes place. Comes to John the Baptist, his cousin, and John is a prophet, so he foresees that Jesus has a baptism of fire that he desires. And he says, Lord, permit it not to be so. Let me be baptized to you by you. Jesus says, no, to fulfill all things, you baptize me. And at Jesus' baptism, many of you have read the story and through the gospel accounts, the scripture says that the spirit of the Lord descended upon Jesus. And I love John's gospel. It says, and remained. So he became a host for the presence of God. He's fully man or he's fully God, but he's also fully man. He's God incarnate, carnate flesh. He is Deity, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And I love it because we can look at this from the perspective and say, well, he's fully God. That's awesome. But if he was only fully God, we would still stand back and marvel. But he was also fully man, which means there's an invitation to us. And I say this often, you've heard it enough, but it's an invitation for you and for me to walk into a lifestyle of the miraculous, that the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit should be evident in our lives. It has to be. But what brings demonstration? What brings the miraculous? It's communion, intimacy with the Lord, yes, but it's also coupled with a fasted lifestyle. And Jesus is driven by the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness, a place where many of us are probably, we curse it. Oh, I can't believe I'm going through this situation, this circumstance. But Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to, just to kind of set this up as well, Jesus goes into a place called the desert wilderness to overcome Satan where Adam, the first Adam, failed in a garden by partaking of the fruit. And there were three temptations that we see and we're going to look at. And it's literally, 
You want to know what, what all is in the world? I mean, First John says this, for all that's in the world, John the beloved, the greatest apostle, so to speak, is what he refers to himself, the one that Jesus loved the most. He said, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Everything you're gonna face in this whole year are gonna fall under these, one of these three categories. You with me? And I'll talk about that as I move forward. Thank you. And Jesus shows us that it wasn't the will of Satan, it wasn't the will of man, it was the will of God to be led into the wilderness to fast for this whole process. And in Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, let's just read it through. The scripture says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. It doesn't say that he was fasting water because it says that he was hungry. So we believe that he was taking in water, but, but obviously abstaining from food. And it says, now when the tempter came, he said to him, if you are the son of God, which could also be translated because you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, it's important, from the mouth of God and said to him, if you are the son of God, or excuse me, verse five, I always skip it. Then the devil took him to the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple, the place that Jesus was very familiar with, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him again, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. One gospel says that in a moment's time, he shows him the kingdoms of the world, which is a supernatural occurrence. And he says, and Jesus spoke to him, and, or, or excuse me, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So this morning, as I begin to talk to you about the power of fasting, I pray that there's an impartation. I pray that it awakens something for you to embrace it and come into this corporately with us as a, as a community and pray and fast and believe for the impossible. But here's the thing. Have you ever noticed that when many of you that have ever fasted before, when you declare a fast, it just seems that devils show up. Now, we understand that hell's real. It's a literal place. It's not a figurative place. It's real. There are demons. There's a spiritual realm that we do not see with our physical eye. And regardless if you want to deny it, you can no more say that it's not there than this bottle of water is sitting here. It's real. It is there. It's real. And it wasn't designed for us, but for those that are unwilling to surrender our hearts to Jesus and follow him, that's where we, we're, we're going to end up. And so Jesus, when he declares a fast, he's at the end of 40 days. He's starving. He's hungry. But what the devil didn't know was that he's at, I would say, and I, this is me telling this, I believe that he's at the peak of his spiritual strength, although that his flesh is weak. His spiritual senses are sharp. He's keen to the heart of God. I know he's deity, but he's also fully man. Remember that, okay? He's fully man, just like you and I. But he's hungry. 
And, he, and as he goes into fast, the devil's looking for an opportunity, thinking that this is the time that I can come in and twist and thwart the one who's calling himself the son of God. Now, I know that I think it was a couple of years ago uh, that we, uh, 2018, 2019, the staff, we went into, a, I know we've done it different ones, but I think this is a three-day fast. We, I told them, I said, hey, we're going to you know, fast on Monday through Wednesday and get ready for the week or whatnot. And then sure enough, come in and somebody, oh, somebody just brought, dropped some sausage and biscuits off. I was, like, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm telling you, when you declare a fast, devils begin to show up. Not to people, let me just clarify that. Um, but then, literally the next day, the next day, there's a dozen donuts sitting on the counter in the office. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't listen. I was just like, okay, I'm going the right direction. Listen, I'll say this as well. Sometimes, if you don't encounter a devil ever so often, you might want to check yourself. You might be going in the same direction, you know. But when you declare a fast, the enemy begins to show up because he wants to sidetrack and derail you and distract you from what the Lord is calling. If the Lord speaks to you and says, hey, I want you to consecrate, set yourself apart, and I want you to fast for this amount of time, as we're doing here, there's a purpose behind it because we, went, we want to win the war in the spirit over the year. And if we look at the life of Jesus and what we see is in, in this first setting here in, 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 the, in verse three is that when Jesus begins to have a confrontation with Satan, the first thing that he begins to, whether it's declared and understood that he is the son of God, or as the scripture says, if you are, he begins to question what the Lord declares, what God, his father has declared over him. So Satan always questions in your life what God declares over you. Well, it's kind of like with Adam and Eve in a garden. You think about it, all he began to do was what? Did God really say? Did God really say? Well, what did the father speak over the son before he goes into the wilderness? You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. The first thing, the first temptation that Jesus begins to combat that Adam felt in the garden of Eden was the lust of the flesh. What was desirable and pleasing to his fleshly nature. When you begin to fast, your flesh will begin to cry out. Not where is the living God, but where is the next food? Where is the, fa- where's the nearest food, fast food joint that we can't seem to get anybody to work anywhere? It's like, I heard that Arby's just recently opened up and they were closed. I can't remember who told me this, but they were closed not even far behind that because they can't get anybody to work. But it's like, when you declare fast, your flesh begins to cry out for something good. It doesn't matter what it is. You begin to cry for I think about, and when I'm fasting, and I know, I don't know why I do this to myself. One of my, one of my favorite uh, YouTubers that I like to watch is a guy named Mark Weens. He is... Um, he is a son of a, a missionary, has millions of followers, and you just go check him out. He's really good, but I don't know what it is when I fast. I just want to watch. I want to watch people eat food. I don't buy cookbooks. I don't buy deep fryers. I don't sneak into the kitchen. and I just want to, I don't know. It's just my weird thing, I guess. And so Mark is, he's over in Thailand. That's where he's from. And for whatever reason, he just eats street food all the time. I would not touch street food, especially in places like that. In this one particular setting, he's eating, um, he's eating, I don't know if they're fried, doesn't matter to me, they're gross, grasshoppers. And he's like, oh man, they taste like sausage, they're so good, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And so like on day one of the fast, you might be like, no, there's no way. You get to day four, it's like, man, I don't know. I tried anyway, you know, give it a shot. 
But the lust of the flesh, it's the desire of the flesh that there's certain things that you want that is not good for you because the spirit and the flesh are enmity against each other. They're not equals. It's not, they don't work together. They're against one another. So when you sow to the flesh, when you put in yourself, when your flesh, you give in to your fleshly desires, maybe it's the opposite sex or maybe it's a certain indulgence in, in something specific physically, you'll of the flesh reap the corruption and the benefits of what it brings. But when you sow spiritually, and that's what fasting is, it's denying yourself of fleshly desires and sowing to the spirit so that uh, you of the spirit begin to reap, we say everlasting life, but it goes much further than that. We say, well, that's into heaven. No, 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 that's for the here and now. That's heaven coming into my world. That's me walking in obedience. Now, obedience is always greater than sacrifice and fasting is connected to sacrifice, but whenever I listen and I'm obedient to the word of the Lord and I fast and deny myself, I begin to be filled with who he is and deny my flesh of things that it would desire. I know you're with me on that, but Adam and Eve, they looked and they saw the tree. Again, they fell this temptation. Jesus is in the wilderness in a fast and he passes it. But he came, the last Adam, to redeem you from the curse. This is what he's coming to do. Get back authority that we forfeited in the garden, okay? And so they look and they saw that the tree was good. Oh, that looks good. Their flesh was desiring it. And so they partook and we know that they fell. But Jesus comes back and says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone because he was the bread of life, but by every word that proceeds, that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this is why that's important. When you begin to fast, it begins to sensitize your heart, if that's the right word. It begins to make you tender to the voice of the Lord. And when you listen, maybe it's specifically to worship or uh, you begin to hear certain things, it begins to break. For me, it does. I'm more tender to the things of the Lord. And it seems like God's voice is so much more clear and so evident because I've removed distractions. Maybe it's uh, obviously food, but other things that you begin to put out of your life so that you can align yourself with the head, which is Jesus, and he is the word, right? And he speaks to you. He speaks to you. He speaks to alignment. But when you fast, the Lord begins to speak fresh words to you. Now, Scripture talks about the proceeding word. And many people are living in life right now and they haven't fulfilled the preceding word, and they're looking for a proceeding word. The preceding word is what God has already spoken to you. He is the word. He can't help but speak. What has God previously spoken? Well, I just can't seem to, I'm looking for, no, no, no. What what has he spoken? What did he tell you previously? Well, I'm supposed to stay put, sit, and get ready and wait. Then do what he said. That's the preceding word. But you don't wait, uh, not doing anything. Again, it's through prayer, but as I fast, it opens the airways to hear what he's saying. The preceding word is what God has spoken, but the proceeding word will come. And that's what God is speaking. What is he speaking to you right now? Have you been obedient to what he's previously said? Because I look at the story of Abraham when he climbs the mountain, getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. What was the preceding word? Isaac, take your only, or excuse me, Abraham, take your only son, take him up to the mountain and kill him. Sacrifice him unto me. Now, God doesn't call us to do that now. Just want to let you know that. It was a test of faithfulness and obedience. And he was known as the father of faith. Abraham does exactly what the Lord says. But how many of you understand if he's not listening for the proceeding word, he kills his son. Now, God can still raise him, but there was a preceding word, which was go to the mountain. Uh, And the proceeding word, 
stopped him right before he was about to take his son. There's a, there's a, a ram in the thicket. And he stopped. That's the importance of you being obedient and listening. Fasting makes you sensitive to God's voice. It expands your capacity. So you're either walking in the preceding or proceeding word. And Jesus tells us, this is how we live. In verses five through seven, after the lust of the flesh temptation, Jesus is also tempted again. Satan comes to test him with the second one. In verses five through seven, it says that he took him to the holy city. What was the holy city? It was a place he was familiar with. You understand that familiarity can be very dangerous. You become very familiar with something. That's why they tell people if they're messing with a weapon or messing with something, a gun, knife, or anything, the worst thing that you can do is become so familiar and you become careless. You can end up bringing destruction to yourself. Jesus is familiar with the temple, but not in the sense of what we might think. He's familiar with it because, first off, he is the temple. It was patterned after him, right? And he's taken to the temple and to the pinnacle, to the top, and Satan begins to tempt him. This temptation, he hits him with the pride of life. Pride is a destructive thing because I believe, in my own personal opinion, that pride speaks to, uh, again, a familiarity with something. I know something. And what does knowledge do? You're puffed up. Well, I know this. I know that. And you've heard me say this before, but if you are the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Because you're never going to be this, well, what if I'm the only one in the room? No, you're not. Holy Spirit's there, so he's smarter than you. And so there's something I can always learn. But pride, the scripture says, goes before, anybody know your scripture? Destruction. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty, arrogant, lofty, pompous spirit before a fall. So pride is your downfall. The pride of life is what, that's what, that's detestable to God. That Satan said, I will exalt myself above Lucifer, excuse me, before he fell. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. Pride, arrogance, rebellion. Because pride in result leads you into a place of rebellion. Because you're unwilling to listen to anyone else but your own opinion. And a man that worships his own opinion is a stubborn man and is, uh, it is equated with idolatry. Okay, I gotta keep moving. So, Adam and Eve are hit with the same temptation. A tree desirable to make one wise. Jesus is hit with it. Jesus, oh, I know this place. Just an assumption. I know this place. I'm familiar with this place. Yeah. I could cast myself down. Just snap my fingers and here come angels. They'll bear me up. But Jesus, and it's, not, it's not his response. He responds again with scripture. The problem is with so many believers is that they haven't filled themselves with scripture so that when the temptation is sure to come, and it's coming, Greg, it's going to come. Regardless, in this year, there's three things that we're all going to face, and it falls under this category. When they come, my question to you is, what comes out of you when pressure comes down on you? What flies out of you? Are you prideful? And I got this thing. I've got it all together. You can't do nothing in and of yourself. That's why that Paul said the most wise of all. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He said, I count everything that I've learned as dung. It's rubbish. 
compared to the knowledge of Jesus. I choose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's his desire. In our culture, we have so much knowledge. It's true. There's knowledge in your, devi- your smart devices. Over Christmas, we bought Elijah an Oculus. Well, we bought it for me, but it's my excuse. Okay, for those of you that don't know, it's just a VR headset, virtual reality. Derek got to check it out. It's, uh, and then I realized I got motion sickness, pretty rough. <laughs> but pretty neat. And I was looking at that, and I was like, man, knowledge is not decreasing. People say, oh, the closed canon of scriptures, knowledge has ceased. To, to, no, it's not. When you can pull out your phone and you can find out anything you want to without having a half a wall of computers that they did back in the 50s, it's all right here. Knowledge is not decreasing, it's increasing. The problem is, in our culture, we lack and we think, oh, we're the smartest generation. You lack wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. Knowledge will puff you up and make you arrogant and prideful. But when wisdom comes, the scripture talks specifically. God is very simplistic in when he gives application. It's not some lofty thing. It's just something that is revealed unto you, and you can have more degrees than a thermometer, and that's great. But when God's wisdom comes upon your life, he teaches you how to apply what it is that you learned for the season, the right time, the right place, the right person, the right word. It's a fitly spoken word in due season, as Proverbs calls it. That's wisdom. Pride will lead you down to a path called entitlement. I'm spending some time on this because I know that we're going to encounter this at some point into the future. And here's the problem. When I feel entitled, thinking that, oh, that's mine, I can just... When I feel entitled, I eventually become envious of the work God does in someone else's life. I can't celebrate with them. I see the blessing of the Lord come upon their life and their business and their family. And I'm just like, oh, what about me, God? I've been faithfully whatever, this, that, and the other. No, 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 I celebrate. Thank God that God blessed you. You're debt-free. Thank God that he blessed you with it. I don't care if you got it by whatever means. If that's between you and the Lord, I don't know. I've just got to be able to celebrate and honor what the Lord done through your life. Humbling, that's a humbling experience in itself. But pride will lead to entitlement, which is why that you must run from it because it is detestable to God. God abhors it, which means that he hates it. Pride is nasty. And so obviously Jesus gives the scripture into this and he combats and wins the second bout with the second temptation. And so Satan is continually going after it. And the third temptation that he comes into, and I'll finish up with this, but the scripture says that when he took him up onto an exceedingly high mountain, that he had, he could see all the kingdoms of the earth. And Satan says, because this has been given to me through humanity's fallen nature, they fell in the garden. I took it legally through deception. I can give this to whoever I want to. And here's the importance of why Jesus came. You remember earlier when I started this scripture? God can do nothing on earth except in response to prayer. Well, why do you need to pray in heaven? You don't. People are trying to get off the planet and get to heaven. Well, that's my, that's my destination. Well, that's my goal, brothers, just to get to heaven. What are you doing on planet earth? Sorry, sidetrack for just a moment, but what are you doing here? He gave you an earth suit for a reason. 
He's done everything that he's going to do. And he said, I'm, I'm sitting down and waiting for my enemies to become my footstool. Well, how does his enemies become his footstool? Through delegated authority, through the people of God, through sons and daughters that worship him out of their own free will and not made to worship. We choose to worship him. And what happens is when we get re revelation of kingdom, we understand that we've given it a responsibility to, to release as an ambassador of heaven to release it upon planet earth. And so, no, we don't have, I don't, just a little deep pocket of whatever you want to call it. We don't have authority. I don't believe in the second heaven realm of warfare. He's given us authority upon the earth. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he's given us earth. So I'm not trying to get off this planet as fast as I can to get to heaven. I've got, an, I've got a purpose. I've got an assignment. My assignment is to bring the kingdom of heaven and release it into the earth. It happens through my marriage. It happens through my finances. It happens through my relationship. And Jesus walks his life demonstrating this. And he comes into this moment. And, and, and as Satan begins to tempt him, and the last temptation is the lust of the eyes, as he looks and beholds, all of the nations of the earth, and he could have simply, I'm not, Jesus didn't do this, but in my mind, I'm thinking, Jesus knows that at some point, he's going to the cross. There's gonna be a whipping post. There's gonna be rejection. There's gonna be, he, there's, there's, person, there's all of these things getting ready to unfold before his eyes. And Jesus, in this moment, when Satan offers him the kingdoms, if he would just fall down and worship, don't you just think it's the easy way out? It's the lust of the, oh man, I could have all of this. But because he was, I believe, again, he's at the pinnacle or at the height or at the peak of his fast. He's, yes, his physical flesh is weary, but his spirit is, is keen, it's sharp, and it can have fasting. It, it, uh, it gives you perception, spiritual discernment. It opens your eyes to see things, not as they appear, but as they are. Fasting sharpens you. And so Jesus is able to see through the temptation, again, giving the word of God to Satan and, and defeating it. But when I fast, I bring my will under submission to the Holy Spirit. It is a humbling act of surrender to the Holy Spirit. When scripture talks about fasting or when it talks about humbling yourself, now let me just, you don't ask God to humble you. There's nowhere in scripture that it says you need to pray that the Lord would humble you. He always spoke to you and said, you humble yourself before me. What does humble mean to the Jewish people? It means to, to call a fast. It means to fast, to abstain from food. And he said, if my people will humble, if they will fast, they will deny themselves of what they want, empty themselves of the desires of the flesh, the pride, the lust, then I will. So it's conditional. The moving of the Holy Spirit on America right now is conditionable, I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> on the children of God. If my people would humble, fast, pray, and seek, I believe that we would see change. 1 Peter 5 and 6, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I just read it, Demetri, if you would. But it says this in the Amplified Version. It says that, therefore, humble yourself. Now, Peter's saying, you do it. 
Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, which means to set aside self-righteous pride so that he would exalt you to a place of honor. Okay, that's not right. In his service at the appropriate time. So it's God who elevates and promotes. It's not man. It's God. Just like God appoints, I believe, as the scripture is very clear, leaders. It's a delegated authority in the earth. Your eyes, the lust of the flesh, we think of the lust of the eyes. Your eyes are the gateway to your soul. I think about it for just a moment. When I pray for policemen and, and, and people that work in the med medical field and people that are first responders, my heart goes out to you. And here's the reason why. Because there's things that you see that you can't unsee. Maybe it's a little child, something's happened. Maybe it's a situation where someone is, something's happened to them. Your eyes are the gateway to your soul. You can't unsee that. And so I think of it in terms of the lust of the eyes. When I look and maybe it's power I crave or money I crave, when I open myself up to the desires of my, my flesh and my eyes, left to themselves bring destruction. I love the quote that I've heard so many times that humanity without Jesus Christ at the center of their life is demonic in nature. We're left to ourselves, and we will destroy ourselves. That's why Jesus came, to show us a better way. If my lens, the, my eyes are filled with God, then the rest of my body's full of light, the scripture speaks to. And as I fast, I was saying it earlier, it brings alignment to the priorities of God's will for my life. It, it aligns me. It doesn't change God's mind. Fasting doesn't do those things. It aligns my heart. Again, we are the body, so we fast and we align ourselves with the head, which is Christ, so that we can function and be effective for what he's called us. Not just be busy, but be effective for the kingdom's sake. Because fasting dethrones the rule of our demanding fleshly appetite so that we can more easily follow the, the Holy Spirit. It dethrones those things. It deals with them. I think about this in this whole process. Jesus has shown all the kingdoms of the earth. So it's like he's in a moment. Like I said, I'm, he, he didn't do this, and I don't think he even thought it. But as I read scripture, I think, man... All that he had to go through on Calvary to become the curse and, and to redeem people and all this that he experienced. And it, it's just, we can't paint a picture we've tried to through the passion of the Christ, which I would recommend anybody to watch because you see in some part what, what Jesus went through uh, the days leading up to his, his crucifixion and after his crucifixion. And it's just, it, it's just a powerful picture. But he chose in a garden He chose in a garden. His flesh was saying, God, I don't want to drink this cup. But there was so much weight hanging on the word, nevertheless. I don't want to drink this cup. If it be possible, that was this, let this thing pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you want to do. Let it be done. We know that he went to the cross. Powerful. Many of us, we get a word and it's a promise of what God will do. And we want to go from promise to possession. 
that's not the way that God works. He refines. He takes us through a wilderness season that a lot of times we curse, thinking, get behind me, Satan, and it's not. The Spirit has led you into a season where he can test your heart. He can remove the dross, the impurities from your heart and test and show you, hey, see, this is wicked. We need to correct this. Your motives are wrong. Your intentions are wrong. I got to correct it because we want to go from, we want to go from uh, promise to possession, but there's something called process that you got to walk through. I'm not going to spend time on that. I always do. It's a process. God's got to remove stuff out of you. He's got to show you who you are so you can change. He can let you change. He can change you by the fiery trials of test and affliction. That You come out with greater faith, greater endurance, greater perseverance, because we're in a, a microwave society. We want everything right now. Everything's got to be to us right now. I shipped it from Amazon. Two-day shipping is coming. Until stuff happened in the past couple of years that gets stuck, get stuck in Memphis. You know what? We never did receive our chairs, did we? Oh, we did. No, no, no. We bought some more. Yeah, yeah. I was willing. I'm one of those. If one of my package, packages gets stuck, I'll call the facility and I'll wear them out. Hey, I need my package. <laughs> but God works in process. He's got, he's got to, he's, he's focused on changing. But what happens as we go through process, brokenness. And brokenness to me is the most precious thing that a believer can have. And the reason why is because brokenness produces, it produces tenderness. Your heart doesn't get hard. Situations get tough, but you know who you, you rely on. God, I'm yours. You take this life, I'm yours. My family belongs to you. My finances belong to you. I'm, I'm before you. That's why I think it's important that every believer should lay on their face at some point during their prayer time and surrender. That's just my opinion. Because brokenness makes room for God to release his strength. Because now you realize it's not my strength, but it's his. I don't fulfill the lust of my eyes because I'm under submission. And I yield. And I surrender. And I say, God, you've got to move I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I don't care how much money I have and how much fame I have. I'll never be enough. I've got to make you famous, not me famous. I think about the pursuit of humanity. I'm getting ready to close. This is my second time, so I'm good. Got one more, right? I think about humanity and our desires. We want to be known, right? We want to be loved. We want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be touched and connected to. It's humanity. And there, God has put within every person in this room a desire to be great. It is. People will repent for being great. No, no, no. Don't repent for being great. God created you to rule. You ever noticed that, um, that in certain, there's certain ethnicities that can come into America Especially, and this is serious, Asian. Asians can go into a city and within a year's time, they own a business because they come to take over. God created humanity with an innate desire to want to rule. Now, I believe that believers have got that within our hearts as well, but sometimes we suppress it. God has created every one of us, but there's a certain way that we are to go about this. This is kingdom. So Jesus is presented with this, this whole of the kingdom. But here's my, here's my point. 
Who took him to the top? Are you with me or are you asleep? Who took Satan to the top? I mean, excuse me, who I just gave it to you. Who took Jesus to the top? Satan, I got it, I got it. Satan takes Jesus to the top and leaves him. Here's my thing. What if, and I believe this might save someone throughout the year, what if this short span of 21 days of prayer and fasting, we commit ourselves to it. You commit yourself to it. And at some point through the year, all of a sudden a promotion comes. Something doesn't feel right about it. Because it's the enemy's way. And again, people say, well, you know, no, no, no. The devil's trying to take you to the top, to the pinnacle of something specific. And what you may not see is that it's going to require more time, more time away from your family that would bring destruction in your marriage, destruction and a disconnect for your kids, your relationships, and eventually it bleeds into physical problems. But because you set aside time to fast, you realize who was trying to take you to the top. What if you miss it? You don't pray, you don't fast, and something takes you to the top. And because you don't, you lack the spiritual discernment that fasting can bring, you miss it. I'm just saying. I think it's important that as we fast, God will empower us to overcome three areas that we're facing, that we're gonna face in throughout the year. Fasting is a vital key that brings power. And here's the end. Luke, put it up if you would, Brandon. Luke chapter four, verse 13, check this out. Jesus goes into the wilderness with the spirit resting upon his life, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed to another opportunity. Then Jesus returned. He went in filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's your difference. He went in filled. He came out with the power of. And check this out. And the news of him spread all across the region. He submitted, yielded, surrendered himself unto the Father, led by the Spirit, fasted, denied himself. If Jesus needed to fast, guess what? Ain't nobody in here better than Jesus. We're going to have to fast too. But it brings demonstration and power. Go ahead, stand to your feet. This morning, I don't know if you came in, you don't know who Jesus is. I want to tell you something. I love, I was reading it in Philippians, or I think it's, maybe it's in Ephesians, but he became the curse for you. Only, the scripture says, cursed is everyone or anyone that dies or hangs on a tree. He became a curse for you. He took the curse so that you could find freedom. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you are able to take something from this sermon and apply it to your life. Also, feel free to share this with your friends and family. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at loveandtruthchurchsavannah at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.